G'day everybody, Roscoe here and welcome back to another episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. Today's guest is Mike Orloff. Mike Orloff is the principal at golfindustrycentral.com.au. Golf Industry Central is an industry resource, it's an industry website, blog, forum. Basically it is a place to go if you are looking for information on current topics, current trends, current information if you're working within the golf industry. Now, whether you're a golfer or in the golf industry, understanding the golf industry is usually a pretty interesting topic to golfers per se. Whether you're a club member, whether you're a board director, you probably come across Mike at somewhere in your golf web surfing. Mike recently wrote an article which appeared in the PGA Golfers Magazine on attracting and how to market to millennials. It's a really key area on Clubland on how to grow their offer and how to grow their appeal to attract new players to the game and attract new players to their business. So I was quite keen to speak to Mike and find out more about his thoughts on this topic because it's important to me, but also about a whole wide range of topics within the golf industry and how Golf Industry Central serves the industry as a resource. Look up Mike at www.golfindustrycentral.com.au, like the episode, send Mike a message, leave me a review, join the Instagram page and just join the journey. I really appreciate you listening in. Thanks for all of the feedback and support. Enjoy this episode with Mike Orloff. Call off from Golf Industry Central. Welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. How are you, sir? Yep, doing well, Ross. Thanks, thanks for the invitation. No problems at all. It uh, it's something I've been thinking about for a little while. And with the podcast, I usually try and either have uh, something that's uh, entertainment or something that's information. And I think my listeners uh, value both. And today, I think Mike, you're going to be able to help me with uh, a little bit of information about your world and your role in the golf industry. And uh, I'm quite keen to pick your brains about, you know, as someone who's in the golf industry myself, what your thoughts are, you know, on this uh, great game that we have, this great industry that we have, and you know, some of the things that uh, is happening, some of the things that you're, you know, that are in your sphere, and I guess a bit of a chat about what we think might the game look like and the industry look like moving forward. So, but before we get into that, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Mike. I'm, I'm quite keen to uh, – we don't, haven't actually ever, ever met before, but uh, I, I certainly get your newsletters and I'm very aware of the great work that you do in the industry. So tell us a little bit about yourself because I, I get a bit of an accent there too. <laughs> oh, it's still there. I can't get rid of it. Um, yeah, I've been here 20 years now, which is which is crazy um, that, that things have gone that, that quickly. Uh, originally from Los Angeles, uh, California. Uh, Want to be a golf professional, so – got a job at a golf course so I can get free golf and free free range balls and everything else uh, as a 20 year old um, just as I was learning my trade and, and working in the in the industry I, I worked with the big management company the biggest at the time at 330 golf properties under the banners if you think of a big hotel chain um, you had the best of the best and, and you learn from uh, all, all aspects of your of your um, 
uh, of the operation of all types of facilities from what I call two star to five star. Uh, and we're had a, instead of getting into playing professional golf, I ended up getting into a, a career and worked my way up the ladder. And in uh, 2000, I was, I was offered a role to come run two of the golf resorts on the Gold Coast. So I came over in, um, in July of, of 2000 and uh, started my foray outside of, um, outside of the USA. Never really been overseas like this. A um, few months in, met my now wife. Um, worked here for about a year and a half and, and got, got sent back to, uh, to the U.S. just due to, due to some, some downturns happening with the company. Uh, a couple of years later, you know, I ended up, ended up staying with her and, and keeping in contact with her. And now you know, got married, kids, uh, white picket fence and, and debt and all, the, all that stuff. <laughs> Um, so fast forwarding, I uh, came back a few years later and worked with uh, and ran Lakeland's uh, Golf Club on the, the Gold Coast, which is a, a Jack Nicholas design facility. It's a real high end uh, membership product, um, anywhere from four to eight thousand dollars a year to, to be a member and twenty five thousand dollars plus to join at that time. And um, that company left Australia as well uh, as the first one did. And it just sort of left me. Uh, wondering what my next steps were and what my, my next big challenge. I, I did my PGA traineeship um, in the U.S. in uh, just under three years, um, which was usually a four-year program there. I did it in three years, fast-tracked it through, became a general manager, did all the, all my goals. So I've been very goal-oriented. So set, set a few big goals like that and, and knocked those out pretty quickly. And, uh, and then I found myself uh, unemployed again and uh, I go, well, what do I want to do? And I just spent probably six months trying to come up with, you know, a business model and, and, and some ideas of what was needed in the market and what I had learned from overseas and working for big commercially focused, uh, commercially minded um, uh, management companies, which is very different than the, the business models we have here typically. And uh, Golf Industry Central came about. Um, and that's been 12 years, 13 years now. So 12 years at the helm of uh, yeah. your own yeah, what, how do we what, how do we frame Golf Industry Central? It's a, it's a <laughs> consulting consulting co- uh, company. Well, it, it's well, it's been been interesting. It's a, it's sort of a double edged sword. It's been very positive because it's uh, it's built some biz, uh, personal profile for me as a consultant. Yeah. Um, but uh, Golf Industry Central, as its own uh, own platform, really is a, a news and information resource for the industry. And not just for Australia. It, it, the stuff I learned with working for a big management company was that you know we we used to share best practice. We used to share the successes from each other within that that group of mm-hmm. uh, 300 facilities. And that was something at the time, 12, 14 years ago. We we had a lot of silos within our industry where you know the PGA and GA and and all the bodies didn't really work together as close as they should. Um, so hence golf industry central was a, a place to bring information together that you normally wouldn't find anywhere else. Um, that, you know, I felt was, you know, was a value hopefully to somebody in the industry here uh, for the ones that were, were seeking it out. So that, that's sort of the, the early days of it. And it was always going to grow organically. Um, you know, I just knew there was an opportunity there to do it. And, and as that journey was going with, with golf industry central sort of coming to, to fruition for what, whatever it's going to represent. And there's been a lot of changes over the years. Uh, it's built my profile in the industry. Uh, a lot of what I do is in, mar- in the marketing space um, and a lot in recruitment. So it's sort of a, a blend of stuff that I enjoy doing. Um, the marketing stuff I just, yeah, just just have a fun time with, uh, especially when there's a facility that actually wants to engage and, and, and you know, make some changes. So I'm very operationally focused, P- PGA member, but then very much an operational minded person running you know, 
all these different facilities for all those years. Just on your PGA membership, what uh, it's an interesting thing for me to come back to because I'm not a PGA member and I had, yeah. the op- had that opportunity to go down that path as a kid growing up in the Hunter Valley and didn't take that opportunity up because I wanted to stay at school and thought it was something that I could always come back to and never did because I started riding motorcycles and moved from Cessnock to Sydney and so on yep. and so on and so on. And, uh, yeah, basically, you know, for all intents, gave up golf. But how much value do you put on being a PGA professional and being someone within the industry at a management level do you put on that credit level of credibility? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, my first goal from when I took up the game to, be a, to become a golf pro uh, was to become a PGA member. That was my, my number one goal. And I spent and I focused all my time on at that you know, three or four years of that, that to get ready for it um, from a playing standpoint and from a uh, skip the knowledge standpoint. Uh, and then, yeah, I got that sort of on. And I still wear it with pride. Um, it's not as probably as, as relevant for what I do now. It does create or add credibility for, for my, my personal branding. Uh, and where I've come from. So people do relate from it, that you're a PGA member and that, you know, there's, there's certain things that we've learned as PGA members that, um, you know, that other, other people out there may not have. Mm. Um, the PGA program here has, has come forward a lot from 12, 15, 20 years ago when I first came here. Same with the other national bodies. They've moved forward leaps and bounds from 20 years ago, even 15 years ago. And that was my big frustration when I started golf injury central, it was just, everything was very siloed and very separate and nobody was talking to each other and, mm. you know, very, they weren't working together very much. And if you fast forward to now, you, you, we do see a lot of the, um, the bodies are working a lot closer together. So the cultures have changed and, you know, we have a, a GMA model that's, you know, going toward one, one, um, association of golf managers, uh, golf Australia is moving that way. Um, the PGA has always sort of been that way. It's, it's more of a member's organization. So they, they look at things differently than, you know, um, because it's about their members. It's a little bit different than, than some of the other associations. And the superintendents have done a fantastic job in pulling all their resources together, which has, you know, been a huge benefit. And that's the models that I'm more familiar with when, it's, when I used to work for the management companies. Yeah. Like I said, we're, you know, we, we, if we have a question, we can call somebody and there'll be some, some help there. Someone's had the problem or someone has the, the knowledge so it's there's the pga brand is is growing and getting better here um because they are now focusing more on the business side than what they used to in the past it used yeah. to be more about playing and, and being pro shoppers and we've seen a lot of pga members now in the last five years have become you know really good general managers at, at big facilities five ten years ago that wasn't happening we just didn't have the skill set there or the the, the pathway I guess, and we're sort of off on a little tangent already, but that's okay because it's relevant. And I, and that was exactly my thoughts because I've I've looked into uh, the PGA structure and how one would become uh, a PGA member now. Because you know I'm surrounded by young people who you know have aspirations for being mm. a professional golfer. Usually it starts you know they want to play, play and earn money, and then you know they might want to do a traineeship. And you know, when, when I have those guys working for me and I try and, you know, give them some coaching and advice and just general life sort of stuff as you do when you get a bit older, I, I had to look into that and I could definitely see that the PGA now, you know, have those learning models, the business um, part of, you know, what they offer as part of the coaching, quali- the qualification is certainly attuned to, yeah. you know, helping the guys learn about 
course, uh, you know, general management of the club and, and so on and so forth. So it's not just about playing and coaching, which is great. But what I guess where I'm going is what do you think that the legitimate opportunities are for, you know, these young people that, you know, I end up being surrounded by and in my industry in, in the retail side of golf, you know, if you don't make it as a pro, you tend to gravitate towards and you still want to be in golf, you tend to gravitate towards somewhere like my business. Where do you think the opportunities lie for young people who want to become or have aspirations of becoming a golf pro now? Is it changing? Is it growing? Is it diminishing? Yeah, yeah probably a little, bit, a little bit of everything possibly. Um, I, I, I still get back to the, the people that that person so the, the, the recruitment side of stuff that i've done over the years you know you're always looking at the, what drives a person what's their their passion in mm-hmm. you know in a lot of cases where you know we, we get in it for one reason which you know similar to my story and I, I i lecture for the um the pga's international golf institute for the last 10 years um so i come in as a, as a featured speaker and and you know go, go through their content that that needs to be, be covered which is very business oriented um but a lot of the time I'm sharing what my journey has been, you know, that, that I've gone through and some of the learnings that I've, I've picked up over, over all that time. It's a great industry to be in. I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to be where I am now uh, with the family, the kids and where I live, uh, lifestyle, my health, the whole thing compared to where you know, if I stayed in the U S where I may have ended up and who knows, it's a, a sliding doors type of thing. But I was, um, you know, in, in 99, 2000, when that opportunity came up, it was, it was very difficult. It was very scary to, to go out of my, my comfort zone. Um, but what I see in the industry is now that there's more opportunities to, with like franchise businesses like yourself, um, this ancillary types of support that's being brought in of, of specialists like myself. There's a lot of other consultants out there that have different specialties. Um, marketing, tour, golf tourism. You know, a lot of that, that, those aspects of golf weren't really on the radar 10 years ago, yeah. like they are now. And a lot of our golf pros are, are heading down that way. So it's really that person, what they really are passionate about, how they make a living. They need to come to the realization that, you know, they're probably not going to make a living at it because there's not that many that actually make a full living. Some do, but you know, you don't want to be negative and say, oh, you're not going to make it, but have that plan B and, you know. What, what would you like to do? And we, we've got some good golf pros that have played on tour for 20 years here, you know, overseas and they come back and they get into a management role and they love it and they do very well at it. They still need to have that business acumen, the people skills, you know, the, the, the financial skills, you know, um, how to manage people, all those types of things. And they can go anywhere and still be within golf. I think there's more opportunities are growing if someone really wants, wants to get to it at the course level, it's getting tougher because it's, you know, it's, it's limited to what you may, may be able to do or be able to move up in, in, in rank, you know, where I was fortunate to be part of a big company. I was able to sort of go up the ladder from one role to the next, to the next, because they, you know, at different, different facilities, we don't have that opportunity so much here because each facility is separate. So how do you yeah. work your butt off one place and then, you know, you go somewhere else. There's not as many, many avenues possibly for, for people. But it's 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 more positive. I'm a lot more positive about our industry now than I was 15 years ago. So, have a lot of the big uh, golf management companies left Australian shores? Is that what what I hear from what you've just sort of? Yeah. Heard? Well, there's there was um, the three main ones. So um, like still, you know, Trim still here yep. in a different capacity, a different structure. 
then they, you know, they, they had, I think, 10 properties at their peak here. Um, American Golf had two, um, and then you know, didn't the company downsized um, you know, and, and pulled out of all their international um, uh, facilities, and then Club Corp had four. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have, uh, there wasn't one in Victoria, but there was one in Sydney, Gold Coast, Brisbane, and um, Port Douglas. And they, they've left as well. So the those two have left, Troon have stayed. Troon's a different management model as well than the others. The others had ownership uh, management rights, where Troon is more of a management agreement in most cases where they you pay for the expertise, but yeah. they don't necessarily own the property. They, they have a different relationship um, than the other ones. So there is some slight differences in that. But even within the American model, there used to be two or three big ones. Now there's 50 small ones. Yeah, right. Yeah, so there's ones that have 20 in a, in a certain geographic area. American Golf might have 80 now instead of 330. So that, there's been a, a lot of changes. We do have a, a few management companies within Australia now, which has been great yeah. to see that are Australian yeah. owners, you know, golf pros. Um, you got G, you got golf services management. Um, me and Danny and them down in, down in Victoria, and yep. they've got one property up here at Parisian, St. Andrews Beach. Yep. You know, so that, that they've done really well from what I can see. Growling Frog. Um, yep. You know, uh, Rose, Rosebud uh, used to be Rosebud something. Uh, yeah, it's on the, on, on, the hill, on the hill there. It's called Bay, yeah, uh, yeah, Bayview, and Bayviews. Bayviews. And Bayviews. Yeah, and Renfrowley. So Ian's been great. We, yeah. we, we've been, um, he's been great supporters of us over the years, and you know, we try to give him a bunch of attention. Uh, you got Club Links that was at uh, Sandhurst for a while. They've got a couple of places in uh, Collier Park and um, Moore Park in um, Sydney. So yeah, right. slightly different model than yep. the others. So there are a few here. Um, okay. You just don't hear about them as much. They're not as um, you know, in your face, I guess, as, as the others. Now, getting back to what you do, so you're quite prolific in your writing uh, about you know what's going on in the industry and, and different things that come past your vision, obviously, and that's what you do. One of the, the reasons why I picked up the phone and, and gave you a buzz and said, you know, we should chat about this because it's – in my line of sight too, it was the article that you wrote that appeared in uh, the Professional Golfer, uh, the PGA magazine, and it was around, you know, maybe I'll leave it to you to describe to the listeners what that article was about, but it certainly, I felt it was an interesting uh, topic that I would like to learn a little bit more about from your perspective as the, the writer of that article and just have a chat about that because I think it's it's got a lot to do with golf, not only now, but what golf is doing in the future and how golf can you know keep this i guess momentum of reinvention to keep its you know place in the hearts and minds of the population current so maybe you could give us an intro into what that article is all about yeah the the the, um, article that you're referencing is in the golf industry professional the winter 2020 uh, just got my issue today like i mentioned earlier I, I, i have to have a good read to see if everything's in there that I put in there, but uh, mainly it's marketing to millennials. You know, are we ready for the, the experiential economy is what, what we're mm-hmm. coining. And I'll, I'll talk about that briefly in a second, but yeah, I, I'm a, a big industry watcher. Um, I mean, a big part of that is the fact that I have to, um, I've, I've got to find content as we all do, you know, to, to, to fill the website and the social media and, and newsletters and everything else that we're, that we're producing each week. So I'm watching what's happening around the world and finding things that are relevant. Um, I'm looking at research papers that are coming out, uh, different articles from different people. You know, there's a whole host of, of information that's just flooding through as we do now through through our news news feeds and 
you know, and, uh, and and they asked me. Well, I'm always looking at what's what's the the, the future of our, our industry. Where, where are we heading? I'm looking for opportunity, I guess, as well to, yeah. to get ahead of that curve and go. Okay, if I can position there, you know, that's going to be a, bit, a business opportunity for me. But it's also a t- an opportunity for me to stay. The, the work I, I do, some work with Golf Australia and with the golf managers and and others. It's the the information that I provide as part of my services, you know, part of my IP is what what I've learned and what I'm seeing, what's happening out there. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a statistics guy, but I'm just looking at you know general trends and you're seeing it in different countries. So you got the European and Eng- England golf sort of what's happening there, which is very different. Asia is very different um, where they're at and their, their path of being an industry, very much in the infancy, what's happening here, what's happening in New Zealand and in the U S and I always look at the U S because they're, they're such a competitive market. They're trialing due to mass and doing to golf being a very popular sport with 15,000 golf, 16,000 golf facilities there. You see a lot of that. We tend to pick that up five to 10 years later mm-hmm. here in some places even longer other places are at the forefront and they're picking up on things sooner so we're starting to see the front edge of a lot of this this change a lot of diversification of offering and then you know in the case of this article having to do with a different demographic you know getting away from the 60 70 year old golfer that wants to come for a competition but how do we how are we communicating to to younger generation when they're not they're digesting their information and news very differently um experience is important and not just playing golf, but what happens before they get there, when they arrive to when they're there and after. And a lot of what the hotel industry does, you know, it's very, very much a journey, a journey map. Um, and we want to make sure that everything's happening is, is, you know, people are having a good time all along the way. You can have one, one part of that journey not go well. And you know, these people are not going to be happy. And it's very different. And it's, you know, we have a point now where, it used to be if, if you had one bad experience, they told 10 people. Now it's one bad experience. You can 10, tell 10,000 people or however many followers you have mm. as it's happening. So mm. it, it's a lot of things are a lot more real time. Um, so even the psyche of the person coming is very different. It's, it's different needs. So how, as a marketing, which is very operational focus, how do we, how do we adapt our operation to, to welcome people, um, to connect with them in a, a digital way? Um, and a lot of what's happening with COVID-19 right now, is it has accelerated it. So it's actually always trying to find the positive in these in the crisis and you know, these, these bad things are happening. You know, we do have some change that's going to be coming through due to it, you know, just through, you know, legislation mandating that we have to do it now. Mm. I can see the country not having cash, like a lot of clubs just going cashless now. Yeah. Like, why do you need it? Yeah, Absolutely. So it's just those types of things. So are we ready as a club? A lot of this was just to get, you know, some of these managers thinking about, well, they're bound by constitution. They're bound by governance and committee structures, which is my background has always been commercial. So it's been, you talk to a boss and they give you guidance and you go ahead and do it. You can make a change very quickly. But when you're dealing with boards and that, it can be very difficult, especially big decisions and big structural changes. And that, that's the stuff I thrive on is, is working with facilities where I can go in and make huge changes and they come out the other end in a much better position and, and be sustainable, you know, for the distant future. Is there an example of a club that you're able to share that you've been in and made some of those huge changes and, you know, change the dynamic of that traditional committee model? Because that's all I've ever been familiar with in terms of a, a club environment. And, you know, I'm a member of a fairly big club yep. in Melbourne here now and yep. everything is dictated by a board and a committee and the subcommittees and so on and so forth. And, you know, I don't really 
go too deep into that, you know, other than my mate's the president, but you know, we've been mates far more, far longer than he's been the president. But sure. um, I don't really get into all of the, the committee part of it and I just, you know, steer clear and observe and that's not because I don't want to contribute, but uh, I just contribute in a different way. But, you know, those change. I, I see a lot of that progress for the millennials in particular being hamstrung by traditional committees. Yeah. And, and that traditional committee needing to be challenged and broken down or have a reorientation of their thinking and the way that they approach the business, whether you're, and I think personally, whether you're a high-end operation, you know, and everyone, all my listeners know I'm a member at Peninsula Kingswood, but I get to play at, you know, your metros and your royals yeah. and all of that sort of thing. And But I think whether you're at a high-end operation or you go down the road to my friends at Mornington Golf Club, where I still frequent and still yeah. love those guys down there, um, different vibe, different atmosphere, different club. I think all of these committees need to sort of adapt their thinking. Have you got any examples of committees that have been able to adapt? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, yeah, yes and no. Um, you, you got me thinking. I guess in the bigger picture, we, we had a conversation. Uh, there was a, a, a group conversation at the New Zealand Golf Managers Conference last year, or year before in Queenstown. And, and um, it had to talk about where the problems lie and how change happens. And it really, it does come down to the board and the governance. And I'm, I'm a big one on culture. So a vision and culture of a facility. So first thing I ever do when I work with the property is I want to know what their vision is because that's the guiding light. Um, these golf clubs are not the McDonald's. They're not cookie cutter. No. Um, they're very unique and they're about members and the members are very unique in itself. And that's a special thing about true clubdom. And where you're at, that's a true club. I mean, there is tradition, there's ways you get in and the way it's been modeled and, and customs and such over a long period of time to evolve. And it's a long journey. And you, know, you don't go and change and become a public course all of a sudden. You know, it, it's a long term. Yeah. The better clubs, the ones that have done really well, like Na National comes to mind. Yeah. National is such a special property. Mm. And they're looking 40, 50, 100 years or more mm. in the future. Yeah when a lot of the middle-sized clubs that we tend to see um, are looking two or three years. You always hear about a three-year strategic plan. It's like, well, that's not long enough <laughs> to impart change. Yep. And the challenge is a lot of is in that governance model, how long a board or president can stay on. Um, a lot of places turn every year or two years. That's not an, enough time. You know, I, I've always seen for, for proper cultural change, which is where these, these big things happen, you know, you're looking at least 12 months to make just as a manager to come in, just get a live land. Second year, you start turning the ship and you know, year three onward, you can start making some, some big, big inroads. Um, the one that came to mind, the, the ones that have done really big change have been, um, unfortunately, they're all public run management. Yeah. Um, and the one I'm tr trying to think of on, on, on the way to the Bellarine, um, they changed the range of course. It used to be owned by a golf course and then, um, Kaluas. Yeah, Kaluas. Yeah. Yeah. That's been a great example yeah. in the Victorian market. Mm -hmm. um, even Yara, Yara Bend mm -hmm. is probably one that's that same thing. I don't think they're traditional modeled. Yeah. Um, but all the, the big ones, we have Parkwood, Moore Park, Wembley, um, and I'm probably I'm missing uh, Victoria Park. There's a few, but they've all been more commercially focused and changed. It hasn't been through a board. Um, Maruchi River has gone through some big changes because they've got the financing, and that, that's that's the other obstacle for a lot of these clubs is that they don't have they haven't planned long enough 
to put money in reserve to where they, when they need the money to make the big change, they don't have the funds to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, an external can come in and, and really shift it around and, and put some money in like at Kerr Lewis, for example, and, yeah. and, and make those hard decisions. And it, you know, not always positive with the members uh, to do it. The national one that comes to mind. I mean, they, they've just been really smart with long-term planning. Yeah. Haven't haven't veered off much of where you know where they've been, and and that's that's what's great about clubs. A proper club is that you know it's it's continuity. Members get used to it and enjoy it and stay for a long time because it's something that you can you can be reliant on. And this is where the challenge of marketing to millennials and changing some of the offerings for your long term members to somebody that's you know maybe want that little surf cart or a single single buggy or want to move to online scorecards. Um, or booking on, I mean, going back a few years when, when T sheets went online, I mean, I don't know if you remember that, Yeah. how tough that was for a lot, a lot of people had a real struggle with it using automated scorecards. I mean, we've had the change happening and it's very difficult, nothing big, but you know, it's, it's education and, you know, long process to, to get the, the board buy-in and then you got to get your members in, you know, to, to buy-in as well. So with the millennials that we're talking about now, you know, chat the other day on the phone, I said that uh, I see a lot of new golfers of, you know, that millennial and just past that millennial uh, age demographic come in and, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed, you know, can't wait to get into golf. What are the, what do you see as the keys to making a, a golf club experience attractive to be able to sustain and retain guys like and girls like millennials yep. and, and as and more importantly girls you know and that's another whole topic but you know yeah, well, it's a big shift that's um, that's that we're in the early stages of i mean uh, the, the whole vision 2025 yep. that, that golf australia has been, been i mean everything's going to get back backtracked a little bit because we you know not as much resource on the ground and a lot of clubs are dealing with their own issues at the moment yep. you know everybody's in a, every state's different that's the frustrating thing every state's managing it differently at the moment um, I've always been a big one on, on a pathway. So as a golf pro, you know, we want to, we're, we're there or a, a coach or whatever, anybody, even, um, um, what I call a, um, ambassador or a, a champion, you know, to use American terminology, you know, as a champion of it years over the years ago, I used to always ask, how did you get into the game? So how, how did you get into the game, Ross? What, what was your introduction? My introduction was my dad. Yep. My dad uh, immigrated from Scotland and he came and he played golf in Scotland and he came out here to play soccer and he found the golf club as an alternate form of sport. My mum hated him. My mum hated him playing (laughs) golf. My mum hated his golf magazines, but she loved when I got to go to the golf course with him because it gave her a break. So that was (laughs) my introduction to golf. My my mum, God bless her, she uh, ended up falling in love with golf as well. So we were a golfing family, but that was my introduction. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. We have all the... um, um, and you, you go back and you, you, I've asked that question at, at a lot of different workshops over the years um, to club captains and general golfers and managers and everything else and just go around the room. How many, you know, who did you learn from? And it, it, this is not a scientific survey by any means, but it was 80, 90% of them said exactly what you did. I, I learned from a cousin. Mm-hmm. You learned from a dad. It was always a family member or grandfather taking the kids. Um yeah, we've got these programs as the the tool to get them more engaged in it, but we also have to look at how they get introduced. And um, so that path, think about a pathway. So if, if people come to the course, how do they find out? How are they welcomed? 
Um, what programs do we have for, for that starting point for someone that's never taken the game up? And I've, I've had an analogy from um, uh, this probably 25 years ago. I, I wanted to take um, ta uh, ta Taekwondo and I just was scared to drive, I'd drive by this place all the time. And I kept looking at it and, you know, oh, one day I'll go in there. One day. And I finally, I got the courage to pull over, park and go in and, and go to ask some questions about it. Walk in, there's all these kids, you know, warming up and everything, a lot of young kids. And I was way out of my comfort zone walking into it. And then I went to grab a, grab a flyer and walk out. And then the, 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 the sensei came out and said, it, it put me at ease. I felt, then I felt it was okay for me to be there. Mm -hmm. So I always use that as an example of when someone new comes into your facility, what's that experience like when they walk in? And that goes for millennials to young kids, to older kids, to, to old men, women. Yeah. What's that initial experience? Do we feel comfortable coming into place? So that's the starting point. So that golf pro, that, that uh, receptionist or whoever's the first point of contact is really critical. So they come in and they ask that question or they call, if someone calls in, you know, oh, they're not here or hell, let me grab your name. I'll send you something or what's on your website. So it's a starting point to getting them. Then you work your way through, look at all the stages, you know, and a lot of our golf programs don't have a entry to golf to actually go play the game. It's at least in my, my era, it was let's do six lessons and then hopefully get them for another six lessons and another six lessons. Um, we were part of the uh, Nike golf learning centers back in, in the nineties with American golf. And we trialed the name just Nike as a learning center versus American golf learning center. And we had three, three to one sign up yeah. two to three times the price just yeah. because Nike was on there. It was yeah. cool. And people knew what it was. And that, that was a journey, but our sixth lesson was always on the golf course. Mm. So, and I see S Sandy Jameson's doing some great stuff down with his one club down, mm. down there. I, I, I just one of these days to have a chance to talk, talk to him about it. I, I love it. That, that's, that's what we need more of those types of pros that just have a passion. That's, that's the champion. That's the passion. He yeah. just wants more people playing golf yeah. and I, I'm the same. I just want people to be within this, not to, even just playing it, but you know, working within it. It's such a good environment to work in. Uh, I'm lucky. I need to go down and see Sandy and I've spoken to him a number of times uh, about it and just to check in how he's going. And it's a, it's a great concept and just to have one club turn up, you know, go out and play the yeah. play the game and just play. It's a perfect place for it. You know that little sport uh, spot in Oakley there with you know majority par threes. It's, it's just perfect. And I think you know when I I think about you know the use of the of the land and the use of the the golf courses that type of concept, whether it's an existing course or whether it's mm. a, at a public course, has got so much uh, scope just to be able to allow people to come on and, and have fun. Yeah. And, you know, and I I. I when I see in my mind's eye, when I when I think about that vision in my mind's eye, you know, I see almost see people in bare feet. Yeah. In some respects. Yep. You know, and that's a sort of relaxed sort of atmosphere when, that I have in my mind's eye. Yeah. If, if you saw outside of my beard, you know, I keep saying it's a very different look for me. I've got three more <laughs> weeks till the kids are in school <laughs> until I shave uh, with their back back in. But um, yeah, I, I I would have been one of the last person you think it would take up the game. I mean, we were surfers. We were on holiday for a couple of weeks down down near San Diego, camping, get up every morning and surf and had the whole afternoon to do nothing, get in trouble and then go surfing in the evening. That was our on, on the tides. And, you know, my cousin goes, hey, let's go play golf. I'm like, oh, what's that? I, I grew up in an area where there was, you didn't have a lot of green green grass. I mean, it wasn't, a, it was very, very um, metropolitan city. And um, oh, okay, yeah, can we drink some beer? And I was like 16. Yeah, we drink beer. Yeah, yeah, we'll drink some beer. Like, cool. 
and so went out and played and just you know, we hacked it around turning carts over i mean just doing the stuff that you just cringe now um and then i look back and i go god that's how i started and mm. you know and i've moved up into you know working overseas um in in, in this very traditional sport and i I've, I've got this whole thing of being i want one foot on tradition but i also want one foot in, in innovation and yeah. uh, future and a little bit of rebellion that's just my personality i just don't want status quo i want to keep challenging you know and i think i just feel like that maybe is my role a little bit in the industry here is yeah. i just want to challenge i want to get information in front of people to question what they're doing and if people come back five years later and go oh cool i read that article you posted five years ago and we did something different and it it helped us do something different right i've done my i've done my job i just want the the, the game to prosper now they get later in my career you know that that's more a more educational base now than, than anything else um than operations but you know that that's um yeah and it we don't there's a lot of capacity on golf courses maybe not at the moment for for some of the states you know they're they're very busy with covid 19 and of course the facilities that are uh, states that are open yeah just for the fact that they're playing twosomes so their capacity is really cut in half but people are playing from 6 30 in the morning till three o'clock you know teeing off there's there's not a lot of room for non-members at most courses at the moment yeah. up, up this way anyways so it's a real challenge hopefully we won't see people disengaging with the game because they can't get out yeah and that, that's it's just um you know we want people playing we want the afternoons there's capacity at most courses to get somebody out be it school kids or you know beginners so there's a pathway to finish off on that one it's, it's all about pathway so get, make sure you have programs that get them on the course once you hook a person on that first hit the ball flying in the air getting out of a bunker uh making a putt just those things you, you, you can see it in your face right now it's sort of like you know you just got ah you know that yeah. best feeling once you get someone to do that a couple of times yeah they're hooked yeah and that's what we want but what do we do we say you have to dress generally dress like this you have to have these clubs you can't do this can't do that this many rules blah blah blah, blah. and people just go well that's too hard I want to enjoy it. And we're starting to see that changing with this, with a lot of some of these courses now We have changed their culture, changed to be more accepting to, to younger, um, you know, younger players that have different, come in different dress, um, speak different language to some degree. They interact differently. Um, yeah, they want to compete against their friends. They don't want to play in a competition with 200 people. They want to play in a group of four. They've got visible. And play within that four. So that's a, a big dynamic that, you know, yeah. that's just what people want, you know. And they've got visible so, tattoos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that was a that was even for me. I, I you know from my my upbringing, you know, a lot of friends with tattoos, so yeah, I don't have any issues with them. But coming here, uh, Australia has always been a lot more open with that, with with a lot of hospitality. You know, I've, I've never used to see it in the states. You know, before or you know years ago, where you know a lot more tattoos and earrings and you know airline waitresses and stewardesses and everything else. Yeah, he sort of. Oh, now it's yeah, who cares? I we never really cared, but it was just different. You know? But it, it's interesting because you're right. You know, you see police with uh, visible mm. tattoos, you know, arm sleeves and whatever. But it's still, at a number of golf courses, you know, they have tattoo policies. Yep. You know, no yep. Even, oh, no tattoo policies, or you know, one or two tattoos are okay. Which yeah, whatever that means. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and I when you when you start really breaking down clubs and and. Um, even though I came through com the commercial side of the business where I, I said everybody was green, did I didn't care who they were. Green was, they had money. And yeah. So I didn't really care who they were yeah. as long as yeah. they respected our rules, yeah. you know, whatever rules we had in place and safety. Um, but when you, when you spend time at, at these really traditional clubs and you go, you know what, it, 
I don't have an issue with that. If, if they're if they're performing well, if the club's doing well, they're they've got a good financial stability, they've got a good membership base, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's who they are. Mm-hmm. If you go to Royal Melbourne, that's who they are, and yeah. that, that's fine. Yeah. Um, it's the ones that are in the middle, and they're not sure who they are, and and they 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 impose some of these um, somewhat archaic type of um, rules that are actually impacting them and actually hurting them. You know, having to still have a jacket in. The, the clubhouse for dinner or whatever, whatever it might be, or you know, no, no phones. I mean, look at people now and you go, well, that pair of jeans is actually, you know, it's a $200 pair of jeans or mm. you know, it's a doctor that has to be on call. So I'm not going to tell him not to have his phone. I don't, what's the big deal. Yeah. Um, so it really gets back to that club again, what their vision, what, who they want to be, what they're about, what, what, what's important to them, what's their values. And if that's what they want to be, then go for it. You know, that, that may not be for me. I still respect it that when I go to those facilities, I still, still going to respect it. But, you know, if I was going to join as a member somewhere, then, you know, I, it's that club that I'm going to find that, that, that resonates with me and, and f- fills what I'm, what's miss, what I'm missing. You yeah. know, it might just be the golf course, but it's also about the social aspect. And that's why I see club is, you know, too many people are members of clubs just because of the golf course. And it's really more about everything else that comes with, with it. You know, the people and the, those relationships you have in the community you have within that environment. It's so important. And we're losing that. We've yeah. lost that at a lot of places. Man. So with the millennials again, and we, we, where, where do you think, you know, if you're dealing with the clubs, sorry, I'll get to the point. If you're dealing with clubs and helping clubs grow, as we've just discussed, but then there's all of this other uh, avenues for golf <laughs> to come into play and into the vision of, of people uh, vis-a-vis, Top golf vis-a-vis yeah. big swing golf and and entertainment venues like that. So they're trying yeah. to create this entertainment experience. What do you uh, see as their role in facilitating the growth of golf and and introducing more people, boys, girls, families to to the game? Oh, I, I think it's, it's very important. I mean, uh, uh, what marketing one hundred and one is um, you know is awareness. People even know what it is. Um, and I, I can't find my argument. I would have sent it through to you. I, when I did a website change a few years ago, I lost a few of my, um, what I call mic space, some of my, my blogging that I've done over the years. And it was around, you know, are uh, people that play Wii golf considered golfers and just went through the pros and cons and, and try to get some conversation around it. And a few people contacted me and said, oh, yeah, they're not golfers, you know, blah, blah, blah. And other ones going, well, yeah, it is. I mean, they, they probably know more about the game playing it digitally then they know that a lot of our people that play it you know for real they know what a club looks like and they know how to hit it what a seven iron and all that a big part of them is they understand how the game's played and the rules and and how to you know how to take score all those types of things that we we take for granted as 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 golfers now the big challenge is getting them to move from a virtual golf to an actual driving range or uh, you know to a golf club mm. We, we've got it up here with Top Golf. It's only ten minutes away from where I live. I, not that I'm aware of, there's any relationships between any of Top Golf and the local golf facilities as a, a pathway. And I understand that Top Golf's in their own business, and it's not about pushing people away from their their venues. So I can understand that's probably probably the case on it. But uh, yeah, they're an entertainment you know venue for events and, and big functions and such. But those people that that would never have tried the game are actually now in an environment where they feel comfortable trying it. My wife's tried it. Yeah. Only two times she's ever tried to hit in golf ball. Once when she took me on a date to a very private someone's house that had a golf course on it. 
she had had a few swings out there and that was 20 years ago <laughs> and then six months ago at top golf and she goes oh i'll have this i'll have a hit this looks fun really <laughs> so am i kidding you just see the look on people's faces when you know you looked at how the structure of the place is and we've got we've got a couple good examples here um a, a club facility that i've worked with over the years with at, at parkwood village and there the stuff they're doing there is it's referenced in the in the article uh, yeah they had the they have top golf suite virtual golf in there uh, miniature golf 18 hole golf course you know weddings functions tab pub you know and you know the titans football practice off on one side of their their property it's as diversified of a, a venue that you can get and it, it just shows you the the changes and it, that's a good model to say that you that was very traditionally run for a long time and then it was taken over by private owners and they've made the changes it wasn't very easy for them to make the changes but now everybody's going wow like this is such a good venue great service the the, the, the missing ingredients the the service side of it at most places a lot of places so just I'll just back over that. So I, I was aware that they had uh, the Top Golf Swing Suites up there. So they've yep. they've got six or seven, however many full swing golf simulators in there. One of my actually, one of my staff members was, was up part of the team that installed those simulators. Just a, oh, okay, by, yeah, yep. just by the by. But um, so they had they've got Top Golf Swing Suites, but that's part of the Parkwood, and there's a got the golf course, mini golf, and then the bar and the TAB. Yep, get that. And then over on one side, they've got the an NRL team training. Yep. So, well, that, there's an actual a commercial precinct on the property. So yeah. it was a single property that they they were able to get yeah. approval to change zoning. And there's a hotel and a retirement center possibly coming in. I mean, the, the, the pro that's looking after that's just done an amazing job on it. Just really big lateral thinker, you yeah. know, just uh, um, just big big vision of where things could go. And he's had some good opportunities come at the right time. Uh, but yeah, there's 10 commercial precincts, uh, tenants paying money. There's a bounce. Um, trampoline center there's a pool um the titans uh, gymnasium a big medical center yeah and they're all coming through drinking coffee having their lunches you know uh, all the golfers are coming through and they're all cohabitating you know they're, yeah. they're all you know that the, the the big shift of uh members being upset that non-members are coming in is just gone it's just not there anymore because yeah, they're, they're so they're, different there's money and the money is re reinvested into keeping the golf course great and the other facilities. It's, yeah, it's yeah a, they spent a couple of million on irrigation and, yeah. and it's not the most amazing golf course in the world, but you no. know what? It's a great, it's a fun little track. Uh, one of my early lessons uh, was, um, it was the first course I worked at was just a little crap hole place and little council course. And, you know, I said, why is everybody here? It was always busy. I'm like, why is everybody just hanging out? And they said, this is their Augusta. Yeah. In their eyes, they, it's rose-colored glasses. They're looking going, I get treated well here. It fits into my my budget. It fulfills their need for what they're after. Like all of us as consumers, you know, if we fulfill their need, you're going to pay. For, you're going to pay for it. And they just um, had a brilliant time. Same there. It's just they go in and they're smiling. They're having a great well. We're until, <laughs> until a month and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, we're just under a very different times now. But um, yeah, it's just been a good. Good to see the the evolution over the five six years from when it started to now. Um, you know, just to be, you know, just seeing things as they change and making some some um, um, input to it as as they've done it. But you know, if you get a chance, if you do get up here, that's a that's a great one. Just to see the diversification. Other clubs are going to be clubs. So Royal Queensland, the Melbourne, Royal Melbourne's, uh, the real private clubs. You know what? They'll they'll do it really well. It's the ones in the middle don't really, mm. yeah, they don't. 
they don't always understand what their their purpose are. They want to be this, but they don't have the money to to be that. You know that um, that customer experience part that you mentioned there as being so essential. And I think you know sometimes as a consumer, it goes unnoticed in in some respects. You know, you just expect that the service level it's got it's a it's the golf club, so that's what to expect. Yeah. And and the dynamic is changing, as you said. But I remember, if I go back to my career at Mercedes-Benz, you know, we had a, a distinct period where we had to really change the culture of a Mercedes-Benz dealer from being, you know, you you're you have a, you have to earn the right to come into this business, yep. and then I will serve you, and that sort of I guess perceived level of arrogance that came with you know that entitled position because hey, we're the ones selling you a Mercedes-Benz, so you know you better be up to the task of being able to afford one yep. before you come in yep. here, and and we really had to put a program in place where we changed the whole culture where a Mercedes-Benz was, was for everyone and when you come here, whether you buy a car or not, you're going to have a warm yeah. and welcoming experience, whether you sit down and have a coffee, whether we wash your car, whether we do all of these other things. And that's 10 or 15 years ago. No wonder that they're selling a stack of cars. But that whole customer service experience, when people came in and they felt like they were just there to have a great time just made so much of a difference. And I mean, when you said that's my Augusta, you know, I, I still love going down to Mornington. I haven't been a member at Mornington for 10 years. Yeah. Still got friends down there. I still go down there and I enjoy that place. Craig, Craig and the team there has done a fantastic yeah. They've been nailing. I mean, just some of the initiatives are coming out. Um, I've known him for, for several years. He's always sending me updates of what they're doing down there, some of the whole changes and you can see that it's a club on the, on the move and change. Yeah. Maybe it's not as fast as everybody would like it to do, but that's part of club and culture. You don't want to, and committees, you don't change too fast yep. um, unless you have to. Um, so they're making some slow, if you can make slow, gradual improvements every day, every few weeks, that's all you got to do. You, make you a don't wait product, and yeah. then try to make a big impact. You just do a little bit every day. Just every day you come in, just try to make it a little bit better. Because it is for, and it is about being customer centric and not brand centric. Yep. So doing that with Mercedes is all about. Uh, that's a brand exercise. You know, it's going wow. These people are good, and they're not stuck up. And like, why would I want to buy a Mercedes if if they don't even talk to me? That means it, it sends a different message. And why do you take my son to go to Lamborghini place in, in Southport here? <laughs> and you walk in, he's just and he's like eight, nine, ten years old, looking at Lamborghinis, and you go, one day I'm going to have one of those. And the people there knew that. They knew that. Well, maybe he doesn't, but you know, have a hundred kids come through. You might get one that's going to buy a Lamborghini at some point in the future, because they dream about it, and that's their vision, their personal vision of what they want to strive for. And getting back on your, you know, some of your staff, and it, 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 I really look at that. Those are the questions I ask when I'm hiring. Is well, what you look for those intrinsic things that drive somebody, and if they want to, you know, do they are they just looking for a job, or are they looking to be? in the industry for their life and they love the game and they want people to be happy. And you know, it's, it's, you get someone that's like that. You can teach them the, yeah. you, know, you can teach them the, 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 the technical parts of it. You can't teach someone to be a nice person. You know, they're going to be a, you know, not very nice or not smile and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and not be happy in their job because it's not fulfilling them. Mike, what a, that, that was great. Great discussion. Thank you very much. What are some of the other articles that you, have written that stand out for you that have created some level of uh, whether it be controversy, whether it be discussion. Um, what are some of the other topics that you've been involved with over the journey that raised the raised the uh, the bar, raised some eyebrows, whatever way you look at it. 
Yeah, well, one I've always had real, a lot of good feedback, and I, it's it's sort of sad. The last couple of years, I haven't been in a um, a writing frame of mind for some reason. I just haven't had the headspace to to sit down and write. Um, where earlier on, I, I probably did because I, I was still building building my, my business, um, and it's something I do miss. Um, but the the one that's probably stood out is the um, the the role of the board. Mm-hmm. you know in governance and it, re- it resonated a lot with the general managers because a lot of our and it's probably not as much of an issue now but the, the getting back to that governance thing was you know the, the board in a lot of ways were trying to be operational and they were overstepping what the general managers there for when the board needs to be strategic and set direction and just due to how clubs became clubs and committees run for so long, you know, they clubs always, a lot of our in, uh, industry runs on volunteers and it's great. I mean, I, I've really got a lot of respect for that. I really over the years understood their, their role now, but when it comes to committees and that, if they do have a, a person in charge that's running the day to day, that professional, you know, be it uh, the, the, the general manager or secretary manager, that they're the one that, that's employed to run the day to day and understand how food and beverage works and all that. When the board shouldn't be getting too involved with margins and you know a lot of that, those little things that um, you know, or report or directly advising the staff on what they should be doing. You know, should oh, it's I, I, look, I say that's an hourglass, hourglass shape. The top being board setting strategy, the the neck of it being the, the manager to take that advice and rec- you know, uh, what they should be doing. And then they push it down to the, to the front line, whoever that might be. And that was the one that got a lot at that time. Anyway, so it was a lot of feedback because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they were just feeling hamstrung, hamstrung, you know, we see too many of our managers get pushed out by boards because they just don't, don't let them do what they're supposed to be doing or they'll, they'll blame it on them when it's out of their control. Yeah. That's a, it's a shame, but we still see it at, at some places. Is that article still on your website? Can I, if I uh, yeah, it should be. Okay, cool. Somewhere, yeah, yeah. yeah just the role of it's in the Mike's space section. Okay, I might put no, the link, uh, the link to that section in the show notes there. If anyone wants to look at some of those articles, that uh, they can go and drag that up. Uh, uh, and I, I guess the other one quickly was the um, around how to make your uh, how to make your facilities more women friendly. So I know a lot of just just little things that we do to you know make it more women friendly with the just the way the teas are set up and the competitions and having a dressing room that's, you know, private and you know, looking at through the, once again, looking through the consumer's eyes. Mm-hmm. So be it the female consumer, woman consumer, or a junior or an older person. And that's a challenge. We, we've got four demographics happening out at the moment. So, you know, we've, we've only had one product for a long time, trying to get, trying to make four demographics happy. You know, we need to be able to talk to those people differently. I think, you know, at a very basic level, I think the move to T's being just, Forward, neutral. forward yeah. tees, yeah. middle tees and back tees. Play whatever tees you want, guys, girls, you know, off you go. Well, we, we, we've got it now. I mean, that, it, it's interesting because those are the things that were um, in American golf in the late 90s we were doing already. We yeah. were gender neutral. We got rid of lady, women's tees. Because us as guys just for our whole life, red tees or ladies' tees. We just won't play them. Most of us want. So if we just got rid of a dip, set up a different color scheme. Yeah. You know, it's, um, and they're slope rated, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And even playing men and women on the same day in the same comp, who really cares? I mean, it's just, it, we, we've got technology to help us do that. And that's, you're starting to see that. I mean, it's, it's funny because some people are going, oh, well, we're, we're, 
championing the cause and you know we're, we're leaders on it well there's a lot of clubs have been doing it for as long as you know so you know good for them I'm glad they have um but for a lot it's a new it's a new change you're seeing some cultural change with some of these these board members and luckily a lot of these board members that were 40 years old 20 years ago um yeah now we're on boards yeah. and you know they've got a different outlook if you got on a board you'll you'll have a different perspective on things and then your older counterparts from 20 30 years ago it's just just how it works so it's good to have a blend of on your board if you, you can handpick somehow you know it's not always always the case but try to try to get a good mix and, you know we want one female we need we should have a junior on a junior committee you know for example you know and do we you know a lot of places don't yeah but we're making decisions on their behalf yeah so, but uh, no, it, I'm, I'm, I'm positive because things have moved forward a lot, you know, in, in those 20 years, <laughs> but we're still, we're still a long way to go. Do you, do you think that the vision uh, was a vision 2025? Yeah. 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 Do you think that's moving fast enough in relation to being able to open up the game and make it more attractive to, to a, the female demographic? Are we doing enough or is it doing, are we doing it quick enough? Yeah, well, I mean, you got to remember Golf Australia's role and what, what they can they can advise and they can, they can recommend what, what, mm-hmm. what uh, the, the rest of the industry and, and know, should do. Shiloh Curtis does it is an unbelievable speaker. Yeah. So, and yeah. It, it's like the message messages have gotten out. Yeah. Um, and the ones that resonate, the ones that haven't heard it before, the ones that it really resonated with, they had a champion. They had someone on that, that, that heard that what was at one of those road shows um, over the last year, you know, took it on board and it resonated enough for them to, to, to push and lobby for change. And you'll see that change has now happened. Now, well, it'll take time for it to flow through. Um, other places will just say, nah, that's not us. We don't want it. We don't want people telling us what to do, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's just not the right cultural time for them, but it's, it's their domain. It's yeah. their decision where, where they want to go with it. Are they going to survive or not? I mean, down the line, you know, maybe there'll be another board change in one to three years. So maybe someone in that one will, will change it. Change takes time like that in that cult, big cultural change like that. And, you know, we see a lot of changes happening in, in the GA structure, you know, but now we've got a lot of, you know, a lot of bigger issues to deal with at the moment. Yeah. You know, a lot of change happening through GA, um, you know, for just with the one, one golf and, um, yeah, that, that's a cultural change that will will take a couple of years. It doesn't doesn't happen overnight because you're you've got to lobby, you've got to you got to consult, you've got to you got to do it the right way so everybody's part of the journey. This journey started you know five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. You know, in participation and you know was part of some workshops years ago on, on all that and getting people to work my golf and all those ones. You know, it, it, just the work that had to be done to get my golf to be the national brand was. <laughs> it took a long time. We're still not there. It's still, still a ways to go, but it's, it's there. The structure's there. Mm. They make it. Some states are doing really well. You know, they're bringing a lot of new kids in. Um, but in the end, it's, it's a club's business, and they need to make the decisions to, to take anything on, and they need to, you know, live and die by the decision they make, and, and grow the business. Try to find a good champion at your facility. You know, the best, best places. You know, we'll use Sandy as a. Uh, Sandy Jamison again is an example. I mean, if he wasn't there, it wouldn't be happening. Yeah. So same thing needs to happen. You get into a club that has a good junior program. It's there's somebody behind it that that has a passion for for getting kids into the game or bringing girls into the game or whatever it is. Um, so we got to find those those champions at each of the courses um, and drive change at that at that level. That's the only way it will really happen unless it's legislatively changed. Well, but even then, it doesn't always happen. 
Last last question, I'll, I'll and I'll let you go. But mm. obviously, this is a podcast, and if you search on iTunes Golf Podcasts, you will see five hundred thousand and fifteen of them pop up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, but it's a form of new media, and yep. I've seen maybe several pop up in the last <clears throat> month. Obviously, because yep. people have got time, they're at home, they've always wanted to, haven't been able to, and are now going to start their podcast which is great. Um, what do you feel is the role of new media in the promotion of golf? Is it a, are all of these podcasts or all of these Instagram accounts or all of these blog, vlog, all of that sort of content, is that going to grow in the future, do you believe? Yeah, well, I think it is. I think we go into our own, like with anything with marketing, it's who's your audience and who, who you're talking to. Um, some people do it out of hobbies. And then hobbies turn into career. I mean, how to make money out of it is a whole different, yeah, sure. whole different equation as well. The no money, yeah. no yeah, money down, money here. No money yeah, here. 12 years, I'm trying to figure it out. I, I've had my own little blog, and uh, I should have started a vlog maybe two years ago. My wife was on to me to start a vlog, a video log, and I just wasn't ready. You know, it's always a challenge putting your face up there versus just the voice, and even just putting a voice is a is a big thing. Um, it just just coming to terms with some some confidence, um, and now the Zoom world we're in, um, you know, it's a space I'm heading into more with with webinars, and I've got a, a very broad network of topics that um, you know that I think will be relevant in context to to do something. So watch that space over the next next month or two. Um, yeah, I, I think it will. I mean, we've we've seen it breaking down into um, what, I guess what you call tribes. I don't know if you've seen tribal marketing where it's yeah. You know, it's it's you're not trying to market to everybody. You you want to find people that have have like club, a club tribe, yeah. uh, has a good relationship together. They have common common purpose, um, similar values, and you build that tribe. You get people that, and they're part of it. It's hard to get. You don't lose those people very easily. But you have to do something really bad to to lose somebody that's part of your tribe, because that's part of who you are. You've got an emotional attachment. Um, as long as the the content is relevant and you know as long as the content is um something they can't get anywhere else you know you can you can own that space um but you the t- the challenge is it is a much busier highway mm. you know and uh at the pga um uh expo last year and i'm he's going to be upset i can't remember his name at the top of my head right now he's down down your way he does a great he's, he's the golf doctor and he has a youtube channel and He's done very well, but he's been in for a few years and really, really worked it. And um, yeah, he, he presented. Oh, I was like, you should be up here presenting. Like you've done it. You, know, you, you're doing it now in that YouTube space, which is very foreign space. But you know, some of the basics are, you know, create something no one else has. They can't, they can't take that away from you. And be, be, um, be honest and don't, you know, don't bullshit. Give people what they want. And make it entertaining yeah. and make it fun. Um, you know, it's, but it is a busier highway. Same with the Facebook five, six years ago. Not many clubs were on Facebook. Yeah. And now they are. And good luck now because it's a very busy medium now. You got to pay to play. Um, but, you know, is there a medium to get into before MBL does? Well, maybe no traffic there. So it's, yeah, I'm still big on, you know, marketing through, you know, newsletters and, email and you know, people still 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 like the old-fashioned medium who your audience is so ask your audience what they want to hear about and you know you can see by your your readership and who's listening 
and so forth. I had the conversation with someone the other day who uh, was, I guess, challenging the concept of the validity of email marketing. And I said, you know what? There's one thing that you own. If someone subscribes to your yep. content, you own you, know, you own that. You don't own the person, but you own that. If yeah, exactly Insta- right. Instagram, Facebook, yep. you know, whatever crashes tomorrow or takes you offline yep. or whatever, that's gone. Yep. Not, yeah, 100%. So, mean, I, I, I'm, it's the same thing. It depends on what you're trying to promote and who you're talking to. Most importantly, how do they digest their yeah. – um, that, that information. I've never been a big podcast person. I, I've had friends, um, that kept saying, Oh, you do a podcast. I'm just like, I just don't really get it. Like I just didn't, I don't know. I, I, or when, when do I have time to do it? Um, you know, it, it's all those types of things and it just didn't fit into what all this other stuff that I have. And now I've got time. I'm starting to look at, at different mediums and different, different ways to, you know, to move forward yeah. in what I do and how do I reinvent golf industry central and make it a bit more fresher and modern. You know, that's 12 years old. It's, it's like, okay, well, <laughs> people tired of looking at the same, same info and, you know, so you're moving into different mediums and trying different things, but you know, that, but they're hopefully loyal followers that want the newsletter every Thursday morning or afternoon when I send it out. And, you know, I, I really believe in consistency, trying to get, you know, get people into their, their habits that they want, they expect it there on a certain day and want to see it. And if they click, click a couple things, it's good because, you know, uh, I can get, I've got corporate partners that, yep. you know, benefit from that. And, you know, hopefully that flows into, you know, getting some other work for me. Um, but it's, it's always ongoing and trying to reinvent things. Look, in, in terms of podcasting and that please, this isn't me trying to tell you what no. to, to do, but you know, you, if you have a tribe, which I believe you, you wouldn't do, uh, you know, people are going to want to he- value hearing from you. You know, hearing hearing your words, hearing you know your voice in in their ear mm. and in their hearts, and I think I think that's what uh, podcasting is is being able to deliver to a number of people who follow, you know, someone or something. Yeah. Uh, they they get to you know be a little bit closer than just the 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 reading and you know the vlogging part also. And I get the part I get what you say about you know being on camera. I don't mind if someone sticks a camera in the face and they're asking me the questions. I can I can do that no problems but when it's me having to deliver the camera part of it just uh i'm just yeah. uh, i just get a, a roadblock but anyway it is what it is and i have no to, I have no to no I, I love it it, it is, is it's interesting because we're we're on video right now but it won't won't be when it when it goes live but um i i thrive on when i because I'll, I'll lecture do presentations I, I go overseas to do do this hopefully once once a year we get up to asia to do something take the family up and make it a family trip and um, and talk to some of our, our um, counterparts in you know, the British PGA or, you know, running golf courses in Thailand or Vietnam. Or, and that's, that's part of my tribe. A lot of them up there are watching what's yeah. happening down here. A lot of Aussie expats and a lot of Americans. So it's great. Um, I feel honored. You know, I feel, when someone said, recognizes me, I'm like, oh, wow, how do you know who I am? And, oh, I read your newsletter. Oh, really? Wow. You know, I just like, really? Yeah. You know, it's like, wow, I'm just in a little office and, you know, in the suburbs, you know, <laughs> you know you're reading what I'm saying. So I, I, I've got to, you know, it's, it, it's just interesting. It's, it's exciting. And, um, but writing's just gotten harder just because I need to focus in and, and clear my, clear my mind and, and have a topic I want to write about. Yeah. I try not to be too controversial one way or the other, because I'm, I'm not here to create yeah. problems for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've, stepped on some toes here and there because I've, I've pushed something through that I just felt needed to go out and you sort of get slapped on the wrist or, you know, you get a little bit of feedback, but 
you know, same time, I, I just want to share that as much of the good stuff that's happening, you know, that we, you've got a lot of good stuff happening in our industry and no one ever hears about it. Yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't have a platform. And, um, you know, that's so I want to give, give credit to, to the ones that I see and go, wow, yeah, that, that's cool. Like I, I'm really excited to hear about the different um, initiatives that someone's taking on because it's a belief they've got skin in the game. They're not getting paid by someone else. They're doing it because they, they believe in it enough that they'll, they'll fund themselves. And that's something I always look for is, you know, I say you got skin in the game, you know, you, 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 you do this and it fails. It's because of you. If it does well, it's, you know, because of you and everybody that's, you know, that's helped. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not just doing it because someone's paying me to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it because I love it. It's fun. Yeah. Get to meet a lot of new people and, you know, get to go to really exciting places and that fits well into my personality. And, you know, that, that's, that's what some of these younger people come to the industry need to, to look at. What, what excites them and, where do they really want to go and you know what, what's their yeah you can see people play for a while and they hit a hit a wall and they, they can't get any better and they don't they don't move up the rankings and then they get into golf do teaching maybe not like teaching then they find something that resonates and you know and that's a great asset to our industry and the better more of those people we can get in the better our industry is going to be and the other ones will get filtered out the ones that, yeah. that don't, you know dead weight's going to get filtered out and yeah it just takes some time usually Mike, I'm conscious of your time. I really do yeah, appreciate it's it. All where, good. where, uh, where can people get hold of you if the, if someone was listening to this and they think and they think you know what, that guy could uh, help me with some of these ideas that I've got to take my place, my course, my business, my club to the next level. How do people get hold of you? Yeah, just uh, golfindustrycentral.com.au. You can drop drop a uh, message in there or Mike at golfindustrycentral.com.au. Or Facebook, Mike Orloff, or LinkedIn. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, no problems. I'm sure that uh, while by the time they've listened, just, to this, just type my name in the yeah, Google. And you'll find, you'll yeah, find I, it. I, yeah, I feel good because I've, I've been on LinkedIn for a really long time before it sort of really took off here. But I, yeah, it's one of those mediums you still don't really know how it fully works. And each one, I'm not a Twitter person so much. Um, You'll, so, if yeah. you do Google, you, you'll see the images of uh, Usan's beard, not the uh, <laughs> not the beard that I'm looking at now. Uh, very good, very good. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. Thanks for joining us on the My Love of Golf podcast. I really do appreciate your insights. And, you know, maybe one day in the future when uh, we can tee up, tee up again, uh, maybe I can yep. come up and tee it up with you up there on the Gold Coast and um, we can have a chat uh, if the occasion arises again about this great industry that we're both in and love. That's the game of golf. Yeah. Any, anytime Ross. And uh, yeah, if I'm down your way, I'll, I'll, I'll connect with you and take yeah, it, have a good chat over a beer. Take you down to Peninsula Kingswood anytime, Mike. Thank you very Sounds much. Sounds good. All right, mate. Thanks Ross.